1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, the apostle writes, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Two high school sweethearts were talking on their phones one day. The boy said to his girlfriend, Baby, just to be by your side, I would swim through shark-infested waters. I would hike across a scorching desert. I would hack my way through the thickest jungle. I would brave the attack of vicious animals. I would climb the tallest peaks and sail through the fiercest winds. I'd plunge the depths of the deepest ocean. I'd climb on the wings of an eagle and I would soar through the sky just to be by your side. Baby, I'd do anything just to be with you. And if there's nothing on television this afternoon, I think I might just drive over to your house. (laughs) You get the feeling the boy was just blowing smoke. He was buttering up his babe. His meager actions betrayed his tall talk. But this also happens to Christians. Our actions can also betray our talk. We claim to know the love of God. Oh, we say we love others. We even desire to share the love of God with the people around us. But true love is more than just words. John explains that real love is not shown in word and in tongue, but it is exhibited in deed and in truth. This morning... I'm going to help you in every area of your life. I got a great sermon. It's going to be great for you. I'm going to help you in every single area of your life, spiritually, domestically, professionally. I'm going to help you at church, at home, on the job. I'm going to help you. A psychiatrist charges big bucks for the assistance I'm about to provide you this morning. Today, you're going to learn how to improve every relationship in your life. Is your marriage on the skids? I'm going to help you turn it around. Maybe you've been running out of patience with a toddler. Listen carefully because this morning I'm going to prescribe the cure for your agitations. Perhaps you're having trouble connecting with a teenager. Well, here's how you break down walls and how you open up lines of communication. Do you have a conflict with a neighbor or a coworker or a church member? Well, I'm going to spell out for you this morning how you can overcome friction in a friendship. Hey, today, I'm going to explain how our church can win the world for Jesus. Right now, I'm going to give it to you right now. I'm going to give you the solution to all these dilemmas and much, much more. I want you to write it down. As a matter of fact, if you have a Bible, it's already written down. Verse 18 reveals the key. Let us not love in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Here's my advice to everyone this morning. If you want to change your life for the better, then be a better lover. In John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus told his disciples that the world would know that we're his followers if we have love for one another. 
Love is the believer's birthmark. Jesus didn't say we'd be distinguished by our Christian t-shirts or our fish stickers on the bumpers of our car or the Bible that we carry or the flowery prayers that we pray or how much scripture we know or even how often we serve. No, Jesus said that we would catch the eye of this unbelieving world and draw people to the Savior when we reached out in love to one another. A Greek writer, a man named Lucian, not a Christian, he lived in the late 2nd century A.D. He wrote of the church in his day. He said, It is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their first legislator, Jesus, has put it in their hearts that they are brethren. Well, Lucian was on the outside of the church looking in, whereas a man named Tertullian, an early church leader, was on the inside looking out. And Tertullian wrote this, It is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. They say, look at how they love one another. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. Throughout the history of Christianity, love has remained our hallmark. Jesus loved us enough to lay down his life for us. Now he wants you and me to love him enough to lay down our lives for one another. John 3.16 is by far the most famous, perhaps the most beloved verse in all the Bible. It's familiar to believers and unbelievers alike. I doubt if there's anyone here who can't quote it. Signs proclaiming John 3.16 appear anywhere and everywhere. Tim Tebow used to write it on the eye black underneath his eyes. Did you know the day after the Florida quarterback wore that verse under his eyes in the 2009 National Championship game, there were 90,000 hits on Google for John 3.16 the next day? People who know nothing else about the Bible can quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But today's text, 1 John 3.16, is also a vital verse. In fact, these two verses are so interrelated, it's appropriate they carry the same biblical address. John 3.16 says God loves us enough to give his only son. While 1 John 3.16 tells us that since he does, we ought to give ourselves to one another in love. The key to the success of this church or any church for that matter is our belief in both 316s. Years ago, I ran across a list entitled The Best of the Worst Country Western Song Titles. This is the best of the worst. Here are some of the some lines from some of the greatest love songs of all time. How about this one? I've got the hungries for your love, and I'm waiting in your welfare line. Or this one. My John Deere was breaking your field while your dear John was breaking my heart. Here's one. My wife ran off with my best friend, and I sure do miss him. Here's one for the teenagers in the crowd. 
They may put me in prison, but they can't stop my face from breaking out. But the song title that really grabs my attention, I really like this one. It fits the theme here in 1 John chapter 3. Here's the lyric. I fell in a pile of you and got love all over me. And here's my question for us this morning. Hey, if I fell in a pile of you, would I get love all over me? Hey, if a person's starving for love, a refugee from a dysfunctional family or a survivor from an abusive background were to walk into our church this morning and fall into a pile of us, would they leave with love covering them? Would they? My prayer is that Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain will be a church known for our love for one another. This morning, I want to talk to you about how to be a better lover. And I have three points this morning. What love is, how love thinks, and what love does. What love is, how love thinks, and what love does. First, let's understand what love is. Verse 16 tells us, by this we know love. And here's love's definition, because he laid down his life for us. If you want to know what true love looks like, then make a careful study of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. To behold undiluted love, look to the cross. The ultimate illustration of real love is our Lord hanging on that tree. I'm sure Jesus didn't feel like having spikes driven through his wrists and his feet. It didn't feel comfortable to have a crown of thorn twisted into his brow. You don't get warm fuzzies being tortured and executed. But the cross shows that real love has very little to do with pleasant feelings and warm fuzzies. Love is all about commitment and endurance and sacrifice. Once it was an Eskimo boy, he said to his girl, he said, Sweetheart, I pushed my dog team 100 miles through ice and snow just to see you today and tell you I love you. The Eskimo girl replied, Ah, that's a lot of mush. You get it? It's a lot of mush. Yeah. Love is more than emotional mush or a gush of hormones or a rush of adrenaline. You know, Tina Turner had a hit song in which she wondered, what's love got to do with it? She belittled love as a secondhand emotion. Obviously, poor Tina doesn't know the love of Jesus. For real love is more than a feeling. It's more than a mere emotion. It's a deep, abiding, caring commitment. Look at Jesus on the cross, and you'll see four traits of real love. First, for love to be valid, it has to be voluntary. Understand, it wasn't the Romans that nailed Jesus to the cross, nor was it the jealous Jewish leaders who engineered his death sentence, nor the angry mob who called for the release of Barabbas nor an indifferent governor named Pilate, nor Caiaphas, the jealous high priest, nor even the legionnaire who held the hammer and the nails in his hands. No, Jesus himself submitted to the will of God and gave his body freely as a sacrifice. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to his rescue, but he chose not to. Our Lord didn't have his life taken from him. Rather, he offered it willingly. This is what love always does. 
It's voluntary. It's willing. Reminds me of the engaged couple who came to the pastor for premarital counseling. As they were filling out the questionnaire, they got to the line which asked, are you entering this marriage of your own free will? Well, the boy stalled for a second or two. After a couple of seconds, the girl jabbed him in the ribs and whispered, put down yes. (laughs) Hey, love that's coerced is not love at all. God could have made us relational robots and programmed us with desired responses. Instead, he chose for us to be able to choose. Love for God would be pointless if it didn't flow from our hearts, if we didn't desire to love him. And the same is true with our love for each other. It has to be voluntary. It has to be willing. It's been said, love never asks how much must I do, but how much may I do. Love has to be willing. Second, true love is also unselfish. Verse 16 says that Jesus laid down his life. And love is always laying it down, not picking it up. It's giving, not just receiving. It's been said love begins when one person believes another person's needs are as important as his own. Love not only lays down its life, but it lays down its rights and its comforts and its time and its energy for the other person. Have you ever spent serious time in an ICU waiting room at the hospital? I mean serious time, a number of days or maybe a week. Though it's usually under sad circumstances, the ICU waiting room is a marvelous exception to human nature. There you'll hear comments like, man, I hope your husband makes it. Or we're praying that your son walks again. Or I'd give anything to swap places with that little girl. No one worries about themselves in the ICU. They care about the patients and they care about each other. No one is rude. Everyone thinks of the other person. In the intensive care waiting room, racial and class distinctions melt away. A person is a father first, a black man or a white man second. The roofer loves his wife as much as the college professor loves his wife. Everyone who waits in that room is pulling for everyone else. Folks waiting in the ICU waiting room are on the same team. And my prayer for our church is that we develop that same sense of community, that same compassion, the same caring as you find in the ICU waiting room. A little more joy, of course, but the same sort of caring and mercy. For in reality, all of life is a waiting room. We're all waiting on Jesus to return. And we're pulling for each other to make it. The sick and the injured and the hurting among us, we're pulling for them to make it. Love cares about other people. Real love is unselfish love. And then third, real love is also sacrificial. You know, we often say God's grace is free, but it's not cheap. Love costs Jesus his life. The cross reveals that love is expensive. Once there was a daughter, she came to her grandma for advice. Seems the, boy's girl, the, the girl's boyfriend was so determined to make a good impression that he kept buying her expensive gifts, expensive presents. She knew that the boy drew a modest salary, and so the girl was concerned that he was spending money beyond his means. 
And so she came to grandma. She says, what can I do to stop Jimmy from spending so much money on me? Without any hesitation, grandma replied, marry him. You know, it's sad that after marriage, sometimes both spouses, the husband and the wife, tend to stop making sacrifices for each other. But sacrifice is what love is all about. Reminds me of the story about King David. One day in a moment of just whimsical reflection, you know, he sighed. He said, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was David's hometown, and apparently he was homesick a bit, and he remembered that well that pumped clear and clean and cold water. Well, at the time, Bethlehem was occupied by the hated Philistines. David and his men were camping miles away, and there was plenty of water in David's camp. It wasn't a serious request. He was just daydreaming about the past, about that well. But there were three of his men who overheard David's words. In hoping to show their leader their love for him, they traveled to Bethlehem. They risked their lives. They slipped behind the enemy guards. They drew out water from the well, and they brought it back to David to take a drink. David was so stunned. He was so humbled. He poured it out on the ground. He felt unworthy to be shown such sacrificial love. See, realize true love operates on a strange logic. It buys gifts it can't afford. It puts out effort even when it's tired. It takes the call even when it's inconvenient. Genuine love risks danger and spares no expense. Real love is willing to make a sacrifice. Sincere love is extravagant and costly. It's a sacrificial love. And then fourth, true love is unconditional. Romans 5 verse 8 tells us, But God demonstrated His own love toward us, In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, Jesus went to the cross long before you and I even decided to give him the time of day. Jesus made the first move. Love always takes the initiative. It doesn't wait on the other person to love first. Real love is unconditional. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Bible College when his wife Muriel was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Well, when the disease progressed, he resigned his prestigious post to stay home and to care for his wife. It was an extraordinary example of love. He once commented, Love is said to evaporate if the relationship is not mutual, if it's not physical, if the other person doesn't communicate, or if one party doesn't carry his or her share of the load. When I hear the litany of essentials for a happy marriage... I count off what my beloved can no longer contribute. And then I contemplate how truly mysterious my love for her is. You see, McQuilkin's love for his wife was unconditional. Real love always is. It's love with no strings attached. Realize this is what love is. It's voluntary. It's unselfish. It's sacrificial. And it's unconditional. Is your life... Hey, is our church marked by this kind of love? But notice, too, how love thinks. Read the last half of verse, 18, of verse 16. It says, And we also ought to lay down our lives 
for the brethren. Since Jesus laid down his life for me, then I show my love for him by laying down my life for other people. A Christian's love is tied to the cross. See, at the cross, this is where love starts. I love you because Jesus first loved me. And the more I receive of his love for me, the more love I'll have to give to you. This is how love thinks. You know, usually a shadow casts a darkness. It blocks out the light. But there is a shadow that illuminates. It's the shadow of the cross. For in the shadow of Jesus' sacrifice, light pours in. The issues of my life become crystal clear. Hey, when I look at the cross, I see myself. I recognize the depth of my corruption, that my sin warranted such a hideous punishment. But I also calculate the value I've obtained. For if such a heavy price was paid for me, for my redemption, then I must be loved and wanted. At the cross, I can feel the love of God. See, love thinks in light of the cross. Call it cross-think. If Jesus can go to the cross for me, then I can toss the ball around with the kids after work, even though I've come home completely exhausted. Hey, if Jesus went to the cross, I can cook a pan of lasagna to take to a needy family in the church. If Jesus bore the cross, then I can sacrifice a little of my spending money to help a person who's lost their job. If Jesus hung on the cross, then I can go out of my way to spend time with a teenager that nobody seems to care about. Hey, when you think of the cross, all things become possible. If Jesus went to the cross, you can even vacuum the carpets for your wives, fellas. You can. I suppose I can too. This is how you should think. You should think cross-think. Love cross-thinks. But verses 17 and 18 tell us what love does. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love does three things. It sees needs, it feels needs, and it meets needs. First, love sees needs. Real love has eyes. Notice John tells us, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need. Selfishness has a mouth, it likes to eat. Envy has an ear, it tunes into the latest gossip. Pride has a nose. It's like stuck in the air all the time. But love has a set of eyes that enables it to see the needs around us. Love is always on the lookout. And this was Jesus. One of the amazing qualities of our Lord was the uncanny ability he possessed to pick needy people out of the crowd. He saw Zacchaeus way up in that sycamore tree, and he called him down. Jesus ate dinner at Zacchaeus' house that night, and the man was saved. John 9 verse 1 tells us, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Folks walked by this beggar every day, several times a day, but they never saw him. Everyone looked right at him, but no one ever saw him. Jesus never passed anywhere that he wasn't looking for needs to meet. Jesus saw this blind man. 
He saw him. He saw his need. He saw his faith. He later restored his vision. It proves that love has eyes. Love sees what other people miss. How many blind men and women have we passed by? Don't you possess the light of God's word? Yet I wonder how many sinners like Zacchaeus have we left up in a tree or out on a limb because we passed by without even knowing that they were close by. Genuine love opens the eyes of the needs of the people around us. So many people today are in desperate situations, morally and mentally and spiritually and emotionally and relationally. You know, our world today is truly lost. And never before is it more appropriate to use that term, lost, to describe people without Jesus than it is today. I mean, people are literally lost. I mean, we've lost our moorings. We've lost our anchors. We've lost our morality from the value of unborn life to gender identities to sexuality to healthy family structures to our very purpose for living. People today are confused. They literally are lost. There's a whole generation today in crisis. And yet, how many hurting people have we, followers of Jesus, let slip through the cracks or left up a tree? One Sunday, an envelope was dropped in the the offering box. I don't know if it was that one or this one, but it was one of those two offering boxes in our sanctuary. There was no name on it. But on the flap of the back of the envelope were written these words, Pray for me. I desperately want to end my life. I am so unhappy. Thank you. I didn't see it until after everyone had left that day. The guys came in and brought it to me and they showed it to me. But it grieves me to think that that morning I may have passed by that person and failed to see them and failed to see their need. It's scary that we can be oblivious to such desperate needs and not see them. It's love that opens our eyes and makes us see. And here's what's even scarier. This can happen under our own roof. What about the needs in our own home, in the life of our spouse, in the heart and mind of our kids? While passing in and out of our own house, we can become blind to the needs within our own families. It's amazing. I have no problem discerning when the grass needs to be mowed. And I can usually tell when the garbage needs to be taken out. Although sometimes Kathy needs to help me with that. But why am I so slow in recognizing when my wife and kids are suffering emotionally or when they're on the edge spiritually? God wants us to live with our eyes wide open. Love sees needs. And what else does love do? Love feels needs. Love doesn't just simply meet needs in a cold, calculated, assembly line fashion. No, love is tender. Several years ago when the earthquake hit Haiti, I recall watching on the news the planes and the helicopters. They were ferrying in the pallets of supplies to the Haitian victims, and they were airdropping them. They were dropping the pallets in an open zone, and needy people were rushing in, and they were starting to pick off the supplies that they needed. And I was glad to see these people getting the basics that they so desperately needed. But as I watched this, I realized that something was missing. 
We were putting food in people's mouths, but their suffering was so much greater. They needed compassion and empathy along with that food. They needed not just food for their stomach, but healing for their heart. Not just clothes for their body, but warmth for their soul. Love feels needs. Look again at verse 17. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Implied is that God's love prohibits a shut heart. God's love keeps pushing that door open, always keeping that heart open. As long as the love of God abides in me, it keeps prying my heart open. I'll not only see the needs around me, but I'll stay empathetic to those needs. Now understand, I may not always be able to meet a need. At times, the reason might be unknown to me. God, hey, God may lead me not to meet certain people's needs. God does that. I mean, you, you can't meet all the needs. But he never wants me to shut up my heart to a need. For when I turn a cold shoulder, or when I stonewall a legitimate need, if I ever stop caring for the hurting person, I stop feeling altogether. And if I stop feeling, I stop seeing. And if I stop seeing, then I end up trudging through life like the throngs of other folks who live their lives with their heads down and their eyes closed, and even worse, their hearts hard, caring only about three people, me, myself, and I. I don't want to end up an embittered, old, cold man. Love feels needs. I ran across a statement that to me speaks volumes. It's about true friendship. Someone said, from now on, there will be such an oneness between us that when one weeps, the other will taste salt. Real love tastes the salt of the person who weeps. Once a mentally impaired child was playing with some bottles that were stacked on the pharmacy shelf. Well, the store manager saw him, rushed over, rebuked him. Young man, put those bottles back in their place. The little boy was unmoved. He continued to play with the bottles. Well, about that time, his big sister appeared and surmised the situation. She walked up to her autistic brother and she whispered in his ear. Immediately, he put the bottles back in place. And then she turned to the manager and she said, my brother doesn't understand when you talk to him in a mean way. I just love it into him. True love never ignores the truth, but neither does it beat a person over the head with it. Real love loves it into them. It feels, it empathizes, it genuinely cares. And finally, love meets needs. It sees needs. It feels needs, and then it meets needs. John says it so well in verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in deed. I'm sorry, in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Real love isn't content to just talk about what it'll do. It just does. Love is always ready to roll up its shirt sleeves and jump into action. Real love has a get-her-done mentality. Love always comes with elbow grease and giddy-up. John says, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? 
If I got the goods and you got a need, then love's impulse will be for me to meet that need. I want to do something. Now, again, there are times when I'm ready to give, but God might shut my wallet or he might shut down the opportunity for some reason. You know, there are times when I've gone to give and God said no to my impulse. Sometimes our attempts to help another person can make matters worse for them. This is why we need wisdom. God might say no, but there should never be a time when I say no and shut my heart to the need at hand. Listen, if I've got the goods and you've got the need, then God wants me to want to meet that need. Once there was an exhausted dad, he came home on a Friday, collapsed in the lazy boy, just grabbed the newspaper. Man, I just, he, just wanted, he just wanted to unwind and relax. Not for long, just, just for a couple of seconds. Please, just give me, give me just a few seconds. When all of a sudden, up walked his son. The little guy stood there and looked at his dad. Finally, he said, Daddy, I love you. Well, from behind his newspaper, his father muttered, yeah, I love you too, son. Just a few seconds. Well, the little guy he just stood there looking at his dad behind a newspaper. Finally, he said, Daddy, I love you. This time, the daddy reached around the newspaper, patted his son on the head. I love you too, son. Finally, the little boy took a few steps back, got a running start, and then just dove right into the father's lap, crushed his newspaper, knocked him out of his chair. Well, after regaining his balance, after getting comfortable in his chair again, his dad said, son, why in the world did you do that? The little boy replied, dad, I love you so much, I just had to do something about it. <laughs> and this is real love. When love sees a need, it has to do something. Love meets needs. And realize what I mean when I say love meets needs. Love doesn't just do what is convenient or easy for me. Love doesn't work loved ones into my schedule. It works my schedule around the folks I love. Real love doesn't seek to love in a way that I prefer to love. It seeks to love in a way that the other person needs or wants to be loved. It does me no good to feed a man that needs shelter or to find shelter for a man who needs food. Love is felt strongest when it targets a need. Some men like working around the house. And you think by doing so, you're telling your wife that you love her. Well, maybe you are. But then again, maybe you're not. Instead of a trip to Home Depot, perhaps your wife would prefer something from the florist. She wants you... She wants to know you treasure her, not just the house. And ladies, you can purchase your husband a whole greenhouse full of flowers. But speaking on behalf of most of the husbands here today, there are a lot better ways for you to show us that you love us than just buy us flowers. <laughs> Maybe you can buy some Braves tickets or something. I don't know. Sometimes we try to show love, but the other person doesn't perceive it because we misapply our efforts. Our sacrifice goes wasted. Your act of love is irrelevant if it doesn't scratch the itch of the person you love. 
Real love expresses itself according to the other person's needs, not just my own convenience. There used to be a Christian song that got a lot of airplay on the radio. It contained the line, If you want to lead me to Jesus, you better find another way. Your life is speaking so loud, I can't hear a word that you say. Wow, I hope no one ever says that about me. That my actions are betraying my words. What a sad indictment that that would be in our lives. It's so easy for us to talk about love. All the while there's a harshness in our voice. There's a judgmental look on our face. There's a mean pounding in our step. Jesus loves us, but are we trying to love one another? Stanley Munaham writes, Love talked about is easily turned aside, but love demonstrated is irresistible. What our world needs most today is love, but not in word or in tongue, in deed and in truth. Our loveless world needs to see love in action. Let's start to cross-think. Look to Jesus If he laid down his life for me, then I can lay down my life for others. Then let's see needs and feel needs and meet needs. You can have a better life by being a better lover.